The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. Listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. Brian Koberger has been arraigned, but there's a new wrinkle with his parents being subpoenaed by a grand jury in Pennsylvania. New charges have been filed against Alex Murdaugh in a continuing landslide of just bad luck for the disgraced South Carolina attorney. And Lori Vallow finally has a sentencing date. It is Thursday, May 25th, live from Santa Monica, California. This is Moving Past Trauma. Let's get into it. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Trauma Live. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? Welcome, everyone. So, so much is happening. It seems like today in the true crime world, we have this new wrinkle in the Brian Koberger Idaho case. We have... Uh, Lori Vallow now has an official sentencing hearing scheduled. And uh, Alex Murdaugh, and literally this news just came out with Alex Murdaugh. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So uh, let's get into it. And of course, where do we all get our news from? You know, directly from the source. Let's just go to Twitter. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was just something that the Associated Press is reporting. I don't know, like just a couple of like a few minutes ago, maybe. What does it say? 2, 2.40 p.m. So yeah, like 20 minutes ago. And the headline is, Corey Fleming, a longtime friend of convicted murderer Alex Murdaugh, admitted he helped his old college roommate steal more than $4 million meant for a wrongful death settlement after Murdaugh's housekeeper, Gloria Satterfeld, died in a fall. A fall, if you will. Now, I believe there was 22 charges that they have listed uh, against um, uh, Alec Murdaugh again, obviously he is serving. I believe I read that he was recently transferred. He was in South Carolina being held and he's been transferred to another, uh, facility in, um, in Florida. Uh, he, I had seen a YouTube video recently where he was professing obviously to come back and he was going to, um, you know, it was saying that he was completely innocent of all charges and everything. What a surprise. An innocent man in prison? No way. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so he is um, he is obviously going to claiming to his former cellmate or, or next door cellmate, I should say, that he is going to come back and uh, avenge his his wrongful conviction. All of this hits a very um, a familiar chord with me because my father claimed the same thing. But anyways, uh, Murdaugh, I guess, has been taken out of the state of South Carolina to Florida, where he is, um, uh, where he has protective custody, which is not a surprise because anyone who's incarcerated in such a high profile case is always, uh, obviously, you know, for those of you that have not been to prison or have no experience in that, which I hope is the overwhelming majority of everyone watching this program or listening, uh, when you are in prison, and I've talked about this before, but my father, for example, who is is incarcerated for the death of my mother in a premeditated incident, uh, he the 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 case was so high profile that no matter who comes in or out of the prison over your entire time that you've been there, 
you um you know, that's what you're known for right you you know that's the you know always with my father they call him doc because he's a doctor uh oh doc yeah he, he you know he killed his wife and it's a whole you know the the, the case sort of sort of um you know gives you a, a level of status whether it's good or bad and the same thing happens with with people who have uh criminal acts against um, minors for example they are placed in protective custody for reasons that they might not be in custody for very long <laughs> because of that by the way cheap uh cheap product promo this is the marisol super chi mug which is available by the way just added some new merchandise today the witness mug is going to be there which has my face testifying against my father in court uh there will also be coasters as well those are coming very soon probably by the end of the day uh so check it out new merchandise for the memorial day weekend so welcome everyone uh again alex murdoch so let's talk about this a little bit here so Corey fleming who is a longtime friend of murdoch uh, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud in federal court. He faces up to five years in prison and a $250,000 fine uh, when he is sentenced at a later date. After Murdaugh's maid, Gloria Satterfeld, died following a fall at the family's home, Murdaugh convinced Satterfeld's sons to hire Fleming as their lawyer, saying that they could help get the family more in a wrongful death settlement. Now, this is interesting. I never knew that. Mur I thought Murdoch personally handled the case, but of course he just passed it off to one of his buddies and that's how that goes. Fleming got $4.3 million from Murdoch's insurers, according to an indictment, but Fleming and Murdoch never sent any money to Satterfeld's sons. Instead, splitting it among themselves, prosecutors said. Satterfeld's sons later hired different attorneys who have managed to get millions for them. Well, that's good. I never knew that that had come to fruition. Um, that's amazing that these kids get some money. Somebody's got to win out of this whole situation um, because the legacy of destruction of Alex Murdaugh and the Murdaugh family has obviously been very well documented. And I've talked about it in previous episodes the legacy of intergenerational trauma connected to them and how this continually carries on and on and on and repetitive bad behavior. And it's always, as I've talked about for a long time with just my own personal story and journey is uh, the way that you conduct yourself. Uh, you don't let circumstances like this take over your life. I think it's pretty good. I think it's a good way to, to lead your life. Um, so anyways, let's see. Uh, found you through your interview on Jesse Lee Pearson. I thought to myself, I like this guy and found your channel and subscribed immediately. Thank you, Torin Johnson. So those of you might remember, I had mentioned the other day that I was on a, on a, uh, on a show uh, called The Fallen State. And I was very surprised at how uh, their audience was interacting with and engaging with my, um, with my interview. A lot of it was very vitriolic and venomous. And I was very very taken aback but i did engage with the people because i i am a freedom of speech person and i like to engage with people who may have different thing difference of opinion than myself and i found the engagement to be very hmm, little little borderline toxic but anyways welcome torin uh thank you so much for being one of those people that's taken an interest i i've had a lot of com a lot of positive comments come out of that interview with people saying that it was one of their favorite interviews that uh, Jesse Lee Peterson did, which is good to know. So, um, so thank you. Welcome to the channel. I'm so glad you subscribed. Uh, hi, Sawdust, here to love. Hi, Sandy Kalb. Thank you so much for all your comments. Where are my moderators today? I have to... Um, oh, and thank you, channel members. We have Kim Shorin, who has joined us here. Thank you, channel member Kim Shorin. Uh, do I think Murdoch survived? Okay. So, uh, this is a question about, um, Alex Murdoch's son, Buster, who is still alive and who is named after the patriarch of the family, who was the original one who settled in the low country in, uh, South Carolina and started the law firm and made his millions or started into politics, I believe around 1911 and uh as a solicitor which is like a county prosecutor if you will 
uh, in, in our today's uh, lexicon, if you will, or nomenclature of our time, I should say. And, um, but um, he was killed in a railroad accident, um, I believe in 1943 or 39 or something like that in World War II time. Um, and he, uh, he was, was killed uh, while crossing over a train track in his car. A lot of people believe that it, there was sort of a history of mental illness in the family and that possibly this was a suicide or an attempt for him to take his own life. I gotta watch what I say here on YouTube. Uh, it was a it, it was him attempting to take his own life and um, because of depression and things of that nature that have sort of um, been passed down in the generations. So uh, Buster is named after that great grandfather, Buster and uh, who was the patriarch of the family and settled and created the law firm, which made all these millions by suing these uh, sawmills, I believe, and things for, you know, for um, disability cases and things of that nature. So um, yes, do I believe Buster? I, I believe that Buster, from everything that I've seen and from when I spoke to Kenny Kinsey on this program, I... Um, uh, you know, who was, who was the gentleman who debunked the, uh, two shooter theory in the Murdoch case. He, he told me how educated, uh, and how good of a litigator, uh, Alex Murdoch was. So I believe that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in terms of education. My father's a very educated person, as was my mother. Um, I, I think that, that he is, uh, Buster Murdoch is indeed convinced that his father did take the lives of his mother and his brother. I think that, common sense dictates that when you look at all the evidence. So I think that, I think he, he is most certainly convinced of that. Uh, you know, I watched him in the courtroom testimony. I commented on it a few times, him just sort of listening and sort of, you know, he, he testified, um, I believe on his father's defense. It, it's a very complex situation there because there is, like I said, this sort of legacy of shame and, and this intergenerational trauma that comes at, uh, at play. And this is a very wealthy family with a wealthy history. So therefore they, um, they are, uh, very prideful and there is a reputation and there, there are heirs to keep up, uh, with what they, uh, with their history. So, yeah, I think that despite all of that, I think, he has to know as a logical human being that his father did take the lives of his mother and his brother, which is a absolutely horrific thing to deal with. I remember watching after the um, conviction when Murdaugh was going out to the trailer, uh, to the paddy wagon or whatever you call it, to go back to the, to the jail. And obviously he was going to prison after that, uh, after his um, sentencing, they said, Buster's next. I know there are a lot of people, uh, again, I had Kenny Kinsey on this program about a month ago. He, he is investigating the Stephen Smith case, which is now being ruled a homicide. And uh, he was responsible in participating um, with the uh, investigation that's following this uh, secondary uh, autopsy and exhumation of, of Stephen's body all these years later. And um, SLED, South Carolina, uh, South Southern Law Enforcement Division in South Carolina has now been ruling this a homicide. So, um, you know, people are trying to associate Buster with that. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> I have no idea. But uh, I think that's a little wrong. But people are entitled to their opinions for sure. Uh, again, as someone who is a survivor of, of violent crime uh, and related to both the perpetrator and the victim, it is. Uh, it is. It presents an interesting wrinkle, for sure. Um, and I see all kinds of comments here. He was bankrupt when he parked his car on the railroad track, smiled and waved at the engineer just before the train hit him. Then his family sued the railroad. Oh, so that must be. So this is Eleanor is saying that is the history with Buster Murdaugh the first, I guess, or senior or whatever. Uh, interesting. I don't know. Um. Let me see here. Yeah, my uh, my moderator is not here. So, all right. Now, getting on to the topic du jour, I have long kept up with this Idaho 4 case and Brian Koberger. 
and I, um, from a distance, I really haven't done too many episodes about it. I've touched upon the ethics of the true crime sleuths, the, the internet sleuths, the armchair detectives, the podcasters, the content creators, et cetera, et cetera, and the media at large. I felt very strongly about this just because of the frenzied sensationalization of that case and the way that it there was a there was an article I've talked about before in Vanity Fair that they did about the rise of these internet sleuths thinking that they can solve this case and people demanding and these are all on forums on Reddit forums and things of that nature and they uh, often. Are, are are circulating, you know, conjecture and speculation on what they think happened and who they think was um, responsible for these different things. And there is, I believe, and I'm going to have to Google it right now, but there is a case currently going on that addresses this particular um, speculation, which was directed at another um, at a professor. I believe at the University of Idaho, Moscow. Now, I know a lot of you guys are much better at this than I am and are well are are more well versed in these cases than I am. But there was a case that was involving this professor who uh was accused of being involved in these crimes and it obviously derailed their stature at the university and also um also uh really victimized someone who didn't deserve to be that's for sure and now that there is a suspect in custody so anyways back to brian koberger so i've long been sort of fascinated with this case in a lot of ways just because of his sort of behavior and i think the thing that stuck in my mind from jump street was when he was arrested, I believe, on December 22nd, 2022, or December 28th. It was either before or after Christmas. It was December 2022, the end of December. Is he asked, allegedly, this is according to the law enforcement individuals, if they were if they had arrested anyone else. And that kind of struck me as peculiar because it felt like with everything that I had seen and read, at least in the general media, not on these forums, because I don't get into all that, but there was a little bit of pride in it. It felt very eerie to me. And one of the things that I talk about a lot, just based on my own experience with my father in his case, is the narcissism of the criminal mind and the superiority that they feel and the recognition that a lot of them have. And there is an interview that I'm going to be posting soon on this podcast with Jillian Lauren, who was in uh, confronting a serial killer, which was on stars in 2021, I believe. And her conversations uh, with the serial killer who was probably the most um, prolific of serial killers in the United States. He had taken the lives of, I believe, more than 90 women in, in and around Los Angeles in the South. Very, very tragic. And uh, it was that there is this level of recognition that criminals seek. Now, full disclosure, as you guys know, Brian Koberger is a suspect. He has been arraigned as of Monday for the charges in the deaths of these four young people, uh, the tragic deaths of these four young people. <clears throat> but he is presumed innocent until proven guilty. That said, found his behavior to be a little strange and a little prevaricative. Uh, so that question stuck in my mind, him asking if they were looking at other suspects or if they had arrested anyone else, because it seems like he wanted to maybe take credit for that. Second thing is, is on this Monday arraignment, he was asking, uh, he was asked, you know, do you understand the charges? And the judge is reading the charges. And he says, yes. And he says, yes. And he says, yes. And then he asked him to enter a plea, which is standard, as all of us know, when you go to court, how do you plea? Guilty, not guilty, no contest, whatever it is, right? And his attorney rose up and said, we are not going to enter a plea. Um, 
in a way of just sort of standing silent, which then, of course, the judge enters a not guilty plea for him. I don't know what the tactic is with that, other than it struck me as being very indignant. And getting back to this criminal sort of mentality of people, oh, thank you so much, Jen DeSimio, for the super sticker. Um, getting back into this, uh, into this sort of, um, into this sort of mentality of the criminal. So I went over to psychology today and asked our good friends over at ChatGPT, our AI, our AI, <laughs> our AI geniuses in residence, <laughs> or our resident AI geniuses about indignance and narcissism of criminals. And one of the things that this article was talking about is that the criminal often regards himself as the center of the universe and he constantly feels wronged by life and assumptions of his perceived activities or crimes that they have committed. And when people take liberty to what they've done, they're almost very meticulous of, um, well, no, that's not how it was done. And then they want to correct you, right? This is something that I dealt with in my father because my father is suffers from narcissistic personality disorder and a derivative of that, which is psychopathy. I firmly believe this. It took me a long time to get there to talk about this, but I they are very methodical in what they do and almost insulted when you don't actually give them the credit in which something was the way something was done. And there seems to be this sort of air of arrogance in Koberger. And again, this is just based on my perceptions of just seeing the guy in court, reading what I've read and that, and sort of his, maybe his lack there of demonstration of behavior. And again, I realize that we can all, you know, it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and I don't know what I would do if I was accused of a crime and I was innocent. I don't think that's the case here. I think that he's been arraigned with sufficient pieces of evidence. There's something uh, like 10,000 pieces of just uh, nine or 10,000 pieces of photographic evidence against Koberger. But there is also um, now his, his defense attorneys are looking for a scul exculpatory evidence, which will obviously um, exonerate him. And I guess the prosecution said, and I talked about this last week, uh, that they will, yeah, go have at it. You can find something to get this guy off. Sure, no, no problem. Um, but there is this level of, it's almost like a point of pride to them. They want you to get all the details uh, correct. And um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I, and I saw a lot of this behavior with my father who not who did not ever really sort of admit to taking my mother's life. I mean, if you've seen my film, A Murder of Mansfield, he does sort of do that in his own very weird way, as my mother would say, his own sick, weird way. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, had a story and the story leads to another story, which leads to another story. But there is a methodical sort of element that, and I posted a video yesterday. I recently got a VCR. And I uh, and I'm waiting for a piece of gear, which is supposed to come on Saturday, so I can transcode all of the tapes that I have from the trial, which I will of course put on my YouTube channel for all of you to check out. But uh, yeah, I um, I am very interested to see some of the evidence, and I have a, a, a book of of newspaper clippings and things that I'm going to get ready to sort of dive into as content for this channel for you guys. Uh, very excited about that. But uh, to sort of examine the 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 psychopathy that went into premeditating that that um, that crime against my mother. So stay tuned for that. And I'm looking at all of your uh, your comments here. Uh, yes. So this is what I'm. So this is what I'm leading into. If the angel. So now in a in a very bizarre twist, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the program. Brian Koberger's parents have been dragged into a grand jury 
to give testimony against to give testimony for the disappearance of this woman named Dana Smithers, 45 years old, and was last seen leaving a friend's house in Monroe County in Pennsylvania on the evening of May 28th, 2022. And now they want to question the Coburgers because this woman goes, disappears in May, 2022. Then they found her body in April of this year of 2023, um, according to the local law enforcement. Um, now the Stroud, and this just came down today as well. The Stroud area police department had said Thursday that the investigators had discovered zero evidence linking Koberger to Smithers death, but nonetheless, they are going to uh, ask these people questions in a, in a grand jury. Um, it is just, um, or they, or maybe they did actually, maybe they already testified. Most of these things are also very sealed and kept under under uh, gag order and things of that nature as to not let the media circus, <laughs> the media circus sort of explode. Um, but I've definitely failed miserably. People will find out a way to get information if they won't. I guess they'll just create their own information, which is one of the things that really aggravates me about cases like this because it just convolutes everything so, so terribly. Uh, but yeah. I can't imagine because the Kohlbergers, you know, there was uh, their daughters who are, I believe, therapists or, or maybe work in education. Um, they were uh, doxxed online for their profession. They were fired from their jobs. So these people have basically been squeezed off and uh, held hostage or imprisoned with their son who is accused of these murders and is going to stand trial. I believe they've said the uh, the trial is going to start for Coburger on October the 2nd or 3rd um, of this year, which will just be an absolute fiasco. We'll see if that goes off on time, by the way. But that's just going to be a fiasco. They say it's probably going to last about six weeks. What a what a circus that's going to be. Uh because you figure Lori Val <laughs> Lori Vallow's trial was four weeks and she had nobody even stand up for her defense. And they had, I would say it was probably very overwhelming evidence against her. Again, if you're looking for a new mug, the Mari Soul Super Chi mug, moving past trauma mug, t-shirts behind me. Oh, look, I pointed the right way. Check it out on the merch store. Links down below. Um, so uh there. Back to back to coworkers family who is now just uh, they these people have to be completely overwhelmed with what is going on. So I would just say, if you find it in your heart, just maybe I don't know, I don't know if you're particularly religious, but you know, have a moment for them because they're going through it too. They're just their whole family has been dragged through the mud, and these are innocent people, much like the the victims' families uh, of the four students in Idaho and they're now I mean, to be to be dragged in to be questioned <laughs> and yet another mysterious death in the area is just it's that that's too much man in my opinion that's just too much but um i don't know if i could counsel them ellen hologram i do not know um terry austin speculated that bk's father and mother oh thank you so much tana for the super sticker Tana up in Oregon. Thank you so much. She has Mary Soul Super Chi merchandise, which she's currently in in currently enjoying. Um, so I don't know who Terry Austin is, but yeah, I don't I don't know where you would even get that speculation from. Uh, because I don't know how other than his father traveling with him from washington to back home for christmas which you know i've never made a cross-country road trip with my dad that would have been really fun talking about my adoptive father george not not my current father yes and you need to get the cup yes you do yes you do tana um it's uh it is interesting that someone could even drive uh, come to that conclusion because that's just that's just slanderous and terrible 
oh, she is a news anchor on law and crime. Of course she is. Of course she is. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm going to have to take a screen capture of that because I'm going to have to look at that later. Wow, really? I have a, I have a, um, Terry Rawson, Terry Rawson, Terry Austin, Terry Rawson said that. Is that who we're getting convoluted? We're getting questions. I'm going to have to get to the bottom of that. Um, you and Carrie Rawson doing a lot for victims. Oh, Carrie Rawson. Yes, Carrie Rawson, who was on Twitter yesterday. <laughs> and let me say something because I do a podcast with Tara Newell called Survivor Squad. And I'm going to get into my point that I was just saying. I don't mean to, I don't mean to butterfly around. Some people say, oh, you butterfly around. I guess this is an ADHD thing. I think many of you, <laughs> many people on these lives have been like, do you have ADHD or do you have Asperger? What did they say? They said Asperger's or something. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. I just talk a lot, uh, which is good if you're entertained. Welcome. This is the show. <laughs> um, Carrie Rawson uh, tweeted yesterday, and, and I have a podcast with Tara Newell, who is a survivor of Dirty John Meehan. Uh, obviously, for those of you that are in true crime, you know exactly what I'm talking about, what it is. Uh, Dirty John was a very huge, hugely successful podcast and television series on Bravo. Star, many stars, Connie Britton, uh, um, uh, Eric Bana, yada, yada, a ton of Gene Smart was in it playing her grandmother, <laughs> um, which I think is the coolest person in the in the show, Gene Smart for sure. Um, but uh, you know, there is this common misconception that when people are in the media in the spotlight, much like myself, um, much like uh, people that give interviews, that they are somehow compensated. Somehow they're compensated. Period. But other, but in addition to that, they're compensated handsomely that is just not true this is just not true uh she recently did an interview with dateline i know she didn't get any money and she was talking about it because now a lot of people are coming after her saying oh you made all this money from this and that this is a daughter of a serial killer of the btk killer you talk about innocent victims and innocent people being roped into stuff that has nothing to do with them <laughs> you know uh uh much like Koberger's parents this is someone along the same lines you know, I have another friend, Melissa Moore. Her father was the happy face killer. And, uh, you know, again, blindsided by this <laughs> when they're into, into adulthood that, that they are somehow related to someone who's committed these heinous crimes. In a lot of ways, and this is going to, you know, you guys can take with it what you want, but in a lot of ways, I, I feel very grateful as a, um, as a true crime survivor that I was in the position that I am in because I'm related to both the victim and the perpetrator. I know that sounds weird, but it, the blood that can be perceived as on my hands or my family's hands has stayed in the family. If you will, it is not, it is not led to the deaths of other innocent people. As far as my knowledge, <laughs> as far as I know, and um, I'm pretty confident of that, but um, you know, it, so at least it's contained. I think for someone like Carrie, who they're mentioning here and, and uh, my friend Melissa and, and other people who are involved in these situations who have parents who commit this, they grow up, they don't even know this goes on or family members that do this. It is a very, very hard road to hoe because you are not only attacked because of what they did and you have absolutely nothing to do with it whatsoever. Much like myself, I have nothing to do with my father's behavior, but at least it was, I was central in that situation playing out but people who are, who are completely blindsided by this imagine just being blindsided with the fact that your father has done this or someone related to you has done this take a moment just to find that out you're just going about your day you know getting ready to graduate high school college whatever going to work and all of a sudden it comes out and this is and you're like wait a minute, hold on my, my dad what put yourself in those shoes you know then being the the backlash that comes with that so carrie recently posted yesterday on twitter a lot of people coming out after her after dateline assuming her finances are way more than what they are 
I can speak to that. It's not, this is not a, uh, this is not a money-making endeavor for the survivors of true crime. It is a fantastic money-making endeavor for the networks, the podcasters, the media that, that covers these cases. It generates a lot of revenue, usually for people who are impacted by this directly. You know, we are often the bottom of the food chain. And just because somebody makes a movie about you, uh, does not mean that that is, <laughs> or, or movies or books, or you write a book that you're somehow, you know, tripping the life fantastic over here. It's just, it's unfortunately just not how it works. And I think a lot of people can understand this because you think about teachers, for example, teachers are, you know, in a lot of ways, quote, civil servants, if you will, they're teaching our young people. Hopefully they're doing a great job of it. This is not an endeavor that I think anyone wants to, <laughs> anyone gets into for the money and the fame. That's for sure. Um, you know, uh, it's sort of the same sort of thing if you kind of look at it in that lens. So all that, go easy on her. Let's not let's not go there with people. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. Now, y'all can come after me because that's okay because I have a show. I'm here live, whatever. I'm good with all this. I've, I've heard way worse than anyone can throw at me anyways. And I've heard it from my own family so and my own father. So have at it. Uh, but yeah, Carrie's had a hard road to hoe. As says Tara, shout out to StreamYard for giving me a free year membership uh, as of a couple of weeks ago. Thank you so much. I'm really enjoying this platform because this is presenting all the lives to you guys. And it's very, very cool. And uh, I'm really enjoying doing this. And it's just getting better. So I'm just very, very excited by all of that. So, And uh, I get to put those little commercials in. I get to put the little intros in. It's very, very fun. Anyways, back to what I was saying. So we're talking about Koberger talking about the ramifications on families and the impact and unfortunately their their uh their families that have been dragged through the mud because of the the actions of these individuals again and brian koberger is going to be tried and you know potentially convicted or exonerated whatever it looks like um so he is innocent until proven guilty in the united states Obviously, people are very opinionated about this. <clears throat> Back to what I was saying a while ago, which is as I was butterflying around, was the media conjecture surrounding that and um, the sort of vitriolic um, conjecture, opinionated conjecture. Uh, and it, and you know, somebody had asked earlier about um, Brian Laundrie and um, uh, Gabby Petito. Don't know a lot about that case, to be honest with you. I, I know there are two young people that were documenting a trip on social media. That's what they went off to do. It sounds very, very cool. I wish I had did that when I was their age, but social media didn't exist. And it obviously ended horrifically, uh, horrifically, which is just um, absolutely just very tragic, especially losing a life that young. When you have so much going for you, <laughs> so much going for you. I just saw, I just saw a photo of um, Gabby Petito because somebody had posted something about it. Because obviously there is this trial going on. This is this wrongful death suit. In today's episode of the Survivor Squad, which I host with Tara Newell, we discuss a very famous wrongful death suit with Kim Goldman, who is the sister of Ronald Goldman. Uh, if you remember the O.J. Simpson trial, which was probably the biggest crime of the century happened a few years after my father's trial 1994 was the famous bronco chase i literally watched it on television as a freshman in high school or whatever it was uh wild wild case but um and for those of you that that know what happened uh oj simpson was acquitted i think the trial was almost a year and uh, but we speak to Kim Goldman, who shares her side, because one of the things that is presumed is when you when you have these wrongful death cases, I believe their their wrongful death case um, against O.J. Simpson was for seventy or ninety million dollars, which they won. But just because you win a court case <laughs> and a wrongful death court case, does that mean that you get paid? In fact, I believe. Uh, OJ went on record saying that he would not pay one red cent of it. Uh, and I talk, uh, uh, we discussed with Kim in, in today's episode of the survivor squad about this and, um, you know, the sort of presumption that everyone had that like, Oh yeah, you guys got a winning lotto ticket. No. In fact, the only time that they ended up collecting from OJ was when he was finally, uh, arrested and incarcerated for his participation in, um, 
uh, theft of sports memorabilia. And if you guys remember, God, I, I want to say it happened like late 2000s or early 2010s. He stormed into a uh, a Las Vegas casino hotel into a room of someone who was a sports memorabilia um, collector with two armed men and they stole back a bunch of his stuff that he claimed was stolen from him. And of course he went to prison for that uh, in Nevada. So that was when they were able to collect their money from his wages from prison. For those of you that may or may not know, wages in prison are probably, I think you maybe make 70 cents a week, maybe something like that. So if you figure you're collecting on a wrongful death suit, that's yeah. So um, they, I think pocket change is what they literally have. You probably find more money in your couch. But you should listen to, to Kim on today's episode of Survivor Squad because it's, it's a fascinating story. It's also very heartbreaking, but it was such a public case. So again, back to this Brian Laundrie, this um, <clears throat> wrongful death suit. Uh, and I don't know what the financial affairs are of the, uh, of the family, uh, the Laundrie family, and what all is going on there. Uh, I guess I could pull it up on Twitter and we could talk about it. But I, um, you know, again, just because you win a case doesn't mean you're going to collect. So I think we have to really rush to, uh, we have to really hold off to rather than rushing to judgment that somebody is getting some sort of pay, but payday when they, uh, when they are involved in a wrongful death suit, whether or not they win, it, it doesn't matter. You still have to collect. It's the same thing for all the uh, same, uh, things, you know, same thing for, for, all of these cases at any time you have a lawsuit, you have to collect. So um, let's see here. Laundry suit. Yeah. I don't think I spelled that wrong. Or I don't think I spelled that right. Let's try Petito. Let's see what the Twitter sphere says about the Petito suit. Gabby Petito's parents get burn after reading a letter from Brian Laundrie's parents in civil suit. <clears throat> this comes from eyewitness news, ABC seven, New York as of 20 minutes ago, hour ago, sorry, four eleven, four oh Oh yeah. Four seven eleven four eleven Yeah. Like literally, well, maybe we're not to that point yet. A while ago. Uh, Gabby Petito's parents now have a copy of a letter Brian Laundrie's mother wrote to her son, which included references to getting a shovel and burying a body, CNN reported. Attorneys from both sides argued in Sarasota County, Florida courtroom Wednesday over whether the letter is relevant to the lawsuit brought by Gabby Petito's parents against Laundrie's parents and the Laundrie's former attorney. The envelope containing the letter which is undated, says burn after reading and was recovered from Brian Laundrie's backpack when his remains were found in October of 2021. Quote, as we all know, the reference, as we all know, the letter references burying a body, bringing a shovel and, and burying a body. Petito pa family attorney Patrick Riley said in court on Wednesday, there are criminal acts, by the way, those are criminal acts, by the way, that Roberta Laundrie has said she would commit. I don't know. This is uh, very odd. Petito sued the Laundries for emotional distress in connection with Gabby Petito's death while traveling the Western United States with Brian Laundrie, her fiance. Laundrie came home from the trip without Petito and disappeared several weeks later. Gabby Petito's remains were found in Wyoming Bridge, uh, Bridger-Tenton National Forest, in Wyoming's Bridger-Tenton National Forest, in September 2021, and her death was ruled a homicide by manual strangulation. This is definitely something that occurs to me a lot when I think about my own, my own mother's passing because she was strangled. <clears throat> what a very vicious way to take someone's life. Um, I find it, uh, find it really chilling. Um, there are, you know, uh, I realize, you know, um, people that shoot people with firearms, it's, it's obviously very horrific, but it's much less personal strangling or, or stabbing someone seems to be very, very personal, um, because you have to literally watch, 
the life leave their eyes. Uh, if you take someone's life from afar, you um, you are not uh, you're not present. You don't have to stick around to see if it if it worked. <sighs> My heart goes out to their families, both the families. It's just very it's so very complex. This is this is again one of the reasons why I was impassioned to uh, to make a murder in Mansfield was to talk about these issues because the more we discuss the impacts of violent crime. And its effects on societies, families, communities, cultures, uh, we can perhaps uh, begin to really understand and um, and navigate the waters of not only the true crime world and community, but also understanding the sides of victims and the families and the ancillary victims and the impact that these things have. And I'll say it again. I said it before when I made my film a few years ago, if you know, if I can speak to that one little kid that was me in foster care, you know, having to testify against this monster, his father, but also on the flip side, if there's someone that can watch or see or learn from this type of situation and say, and it gives them pause, maybe just for an extra two seconds where they go, is it really worth it to lose my family, lose my children, lose my home, lose make make my parents never see my parents again never be there for my granddaughter my my daughter's graduation or never get to hold my granddaughter or etc 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 is it really worth committing this act of violence if it gives them pause that's a great thing because that's a way to make an impact i'll get off my soapbox for now uh but yeah this uh this is a mess. This is a mess. And one of you did inquire uh, about this in the um, in the questions. So that's what you do is so awesome. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Hi, Suzanne Beverly Hill. I may have to be a witness with my ex, and I am absolutely so scared. I'm finding strength in that boy you were. Oh, well, thank you very much, Bubsy, to you. Just know this. The easiest thing to remember is the truth. 100%. Go with that. That's all you can do. And I have to give a deposition soon in another case. I'm not really excited about. Um, and it, it does, it, even with all my experience, this, it still makes me uneasy to even think about these types of things. It gives me a lot of anxiety. It is not easy, but just tell the truth. That's the easiest, easiest thing to remember. It's powerful enough. It'll do the job. Uh, I'm glad you guys are all having really great dialogue. Ah, the laundry family came, went camping in Fort DeSoto after he came back to Florida. That's interesting. That is interesting. Uh, no, Bubsy, to you, you can chat about you. That's what this community is. We have all, we are all cultivating a community where you guys can support each other. I might not comment just because I'm just talking to you guys, but you guys in the comments, I love it. You guys are carrying on as long as you're nice to each other. Don't say anything hateful, which I think YouTube polices <laughs> to some sort of effect. Great, great to have you guys support each other. That's what this is about. Building a community, having these conversations, engaging with one another. It's fantastic. Everyone can speak, give their opinions as long as they're respectful. It is a fantastic thing. I'm so happy to be, <laughs> to be the, uh, the ringleader of all of this for you guys. Uh, and hopefully you find a little positivity and, and you enjoy your day more because of this. Um, Lori Vallow. <laughs> Lori Vallow has a date for sentencing. It is July 31st. Talk about people who have to... Uh, Tara Newell, your ears must have been burning because I was talking about you in, in our latest episode of Survivor Squad with our interview with Kim Goldman. Welcome to the program. Um, welcome to the chat. Kathleen Welsh, thank you so much for the super sticker. I'm assuming that's what these are. Super stickers, right? That they pop up. It doesn't tell me in this thing. It just pops up and says, hey, somebody got something. And I go, yay, this is awesome. It's green. Yay. Fantastic. Thank you. Everything, all the support. By the way, for you guys, uh, please like, subscribe, ding the bell. You'll get alerts. It'll be, it'll be fantastic. By the way, sawdust here to love it says vintage vintage creations. Every time I see that, I think it says vintage cameras. And for those of you that may or may not, I don't know if you can see. Well, 
way back behind me. I have a collection of vintage cameras because yes, I am a uh, or I am a professional filmmaker and photographer. It's where it all started many years ago. Uh, so I have a collection of vintage cameras and lenses. And one of my mother gave me actually um, when I was a kid. Can't wait to go home and hear the Survivor Squad podcast. Please, Kim Shore, let us know if it showed up on your app because we had an issue with the episode today. Um, but, but thank you so much for your support. Uh, yes, hit that like button. Thank you so much, Black Eagle. Hit the like button, subscribe, hit the ding, ding bell to get alerts. Tara Newell, thank you so much for the super sticker. That is very kind of you. Kim Goldman is an human. Is a human? Oh, great. Thank you so much, Jen DeSimio, for listening. Yes, we are working out the kink. Uh, have I ever heard of Gordon Parks? Um, Gordon Parks, the cinematographer? That name sounds familiar. Uh, late, I'll catch the replay. Yes, you will, Jen X, Jen X Granny. Yes, you will. You'll catch the replay. Uh, but I was so riveted, I needed time to really focus on it. Oh, it's all good. Harley, yes, I want to speak for my kids. They deserve to be heard. Well, that's great, Bubs. Bubsy to you. Anyways, Lori Vallow has a date for her sentencing, July 31st. Going to go back to the beacon of truth, justice, and, and fair and balanced news, Twitter. Let's head back there, and we are going to look, give a big shout out to um, Pretty Lies and Alibis, who I follow on Twitter. This is the order governing courtroom conduct for Lori Vallow sentencing on July the 31st. I'm going to move this a little closer to my camera. By the way, I want to say I'm about ready to put them on, but I have been doing this entire episode without reading glasses and actually um, uh, doing quite well. Oh, yeah, I can't make this thing bigger. That's ridiculous. Okay. Here come the glasses. Courtesy of Pretty Lies and Alibis on Twitter. This is this is something wild. Okay. I and I have not mentioned this. Lori Vallow's middle name is Noreen. That is my mother's name. My mother's name is Noreen. It's spelled differently. It's spelled N-O-R-E-E-N, whereas Lori Vallow's name is spelled N-O-R-E-N-E. -E. Thank God. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, and, and very eerie. Um, so you don't meet many Noreens. Uh, but as a middle name, I always find that very strange. When I read her name in print, it says, in order to provide, so this is the order governing courtroom conduct for sentencing hearing from the state of Idaho, which is the plaintiff, and the defendant, Laurie Noreen, <laughs> Laurie Noreen Vallowed, Daybell, defendant, blah, blah, blah. In order to provide for the orderly disposition of this case this order shall govern the conduct of the public and media in the fremont county courtroom for the sentencing hearing on july 31st 2023 the order shall supersede any prior order governing courtroom conduct in this case and may be amended from time to time the court is mindful of the need to balance one the constitutional rights of its defendant and two the public's interest and right to information in conjunction with certain constitutional and statutory rights for the public to attend proceedings. Three, the court's interest in maintaining order and an environment which permits all participants to focus on their responsibilities without undue distractions. And four, the court's interest in the safety of the public and court and security personnel. With these factors in mind, pursuant to Idaho Court Administrative Rules ICAR 45 and 49, the court orders as follows. Seating and attendance in Fremont County courtroom, seating for victims, families of defendant counsel and other court personnel certain seating may be reserved for members of counsel authorized court personnel security blah 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 public seating subject to the need for reserved seating referenced in seating for the public will be permitted in the courtroom as space permits i can't imagine there's much space in this courtroom anyways uh courtrooms are normally pretty pretty small i don't think you could hold more than maybe a hundred people in there including everyone involved and the judge and the bailiff and the defendant and the lawyers and uh, you know they're not it's not like it's on te television <laughs> i just watched succession recently i'm a big succession fan anybody here so total side note butterflying away again anyone watch succession here 
it's like my favorite show on HBO. The last episode is coming out this Sunday. The series finale. I am so bummed because I love this show so much. Uh, you talk, you talk about narcissists. <laughs> Woo, man. They are characters in this show for sure. But uh, yeah, succession. It's a doozy. Uh, but yeah, in the courtroom, they it, it was like mass. It was like a stadium. I was like, you know, come on. This is this is not how this goes. Uh, maybe in a grandiose federal court. But anyways, limited seating is what they're trying to tell us. Seating in front of the bar. No other than the court personnel <laughs> De designated by the court and the defendant, the attorneys and their uh, and their assistants shall be permitted to access or sit in front of the bar of the courtroom without specific authorization of the court. So for those of you that might not know, so when you go to the courtroom, there is what they call the bar, right? And if you are a lawyer and, and you have passed a legal exam, which is called the state bar. So in order to pass the bar, you have to literally pass the bar. Or you're a criminal. One of two situations. Literally anyone that can go, or you're a cop, you know, or a witness. You know, you cannot go, you no one can pass the bar, but that's literally what passing the bar means. That's legal jargon. That's there you go. That one's free. Cannot pass the bar. Entry and exit during court procedures, proceedings. All spectators, including members of the media and public, shall be seated before the court in session is in session during any portion of a hearing. No entry or re-entry to the courtroom shall be permitted while court is in session. Now, I have to be honest with you. Uh, I, isn't this just standard decorum? But I really do think, that, I think it's really sad because of the frenzy that is created around these cases that they actually have to put this out here to tell people how to behave. I mean, we look, we had to tell people how to behave in a Starbucks line. So this does not surprise me that people have no sense of decorum when it comes to this, when they're absolutely obsessed with these, uh, with these cases. So, but it's, you know, <laughs> security screening, all persons entering the courtroom may be subject to additional security screening. One should hope so. Handbags, backpacks, and other carry-ins are subject to inspection. Cell phones and other electronic devices in the courtroom, which are not usually allowed, and they do not like you having those devices there because you can record and there's a lot of people that are recording these the the this whole situation but you know it is what it is um cell phones pagers lap pagers does anybody do pagers anymore i don't know laptops or other any any other electronic device shall be turned off or in silent mode and shall not make any sound or create any distraction devices shall not be used to record photograph or transmit any sounds images or video from the fremont county courtroom no one may talk on a cell phone in the courtroom. Interviews and reporting, no media interviews or reporting shall be conducted inside the courtroom. The public is also still subject to administrative order 2022-09 issued by the administrative judge Dane H. Watkins Jr. regarding conduct inside the Fremont County courtroom. Disruptive behavior, any activity or behavior that's considered disruptive may result in removal from the courtroom and any person violating the terms of any portion of this order may be removed temporarily and or permanently excluded and any recordings or images violating the order may be seized and or deleted. In addition, the person in violation may be charged with contempt pursuant to Idaho code section 18.18.01 and or trespass pursuant to Idaho code section 18.7008 and or other such charges as may be appropriate and also may be imprisoned and or fined. Get off your cell phone, leave your pager in the car, don't do things. But people, of course, will record and live stream this because they did it during the trial. Why wouldn't they? they I'm clear they didn't get away with it. It's wild. I was recently filming not too long ago in a courtroom, about three, two, two months ago, filming a documentary up in Washington State, and I got yelled at by the judge for being very distracting. But I was definitely pushing my luck with trying to get camera angles and do different things because I'm making a movie. Come on. But uh, they were not, <laughs> they were not pleased. I thought for sure I was going to get uh, held in contempt of court. But anyways, uh, big shout out to Pretty Lies and Alibis on Twitter for posting this for our entertainment and legal uh, discussion purposes on this program. By the way, do any of you find it kind of ironic that um, that the judge in Brian Koger Koberger's trial is Judge John Judge? I find that kind of humorous. Uh, 
Anyways, I want to th- say thank you so much to all of you who came and joined me today. All of you that bought super stickers, chats, all of you channel members and subscribers, but channel members, Patreon members. If you are a member of my Patreon, please, uh, this Sunday is our live patron only meet and greet where you guys get to interact just like you are here, but you get to talk to one another and we all get to engage and it's very, very cool. Happy and safe Memorial Day weekend. I will not be here on tomorrow. I will be helping a friend move. That's what happens when you have a pickup truck. You get wrangled into these things, but it's all good. Uh, But I want to say, wish all of you a very happy, safe, and blessed Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Thank you to those of you who have given your service to this country. We, We remember you on Memorial Day. Maybe I'll pop in and do a live on Memorial Day. You never know, but uh, look out on my social media or I'll post it here on YouTube. Again, please like, subscribe, comment, share, do all the things. Thank you all so much. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash collierlandry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright, Collier Landry.